Financial planning and security can sometimes be seen as a moving target. The rules change constantly, and you need guidance to stay ahead of the market moves. This is the Labenthal Report with industry veterans Michael Hartsman and Dominic Tavella. We'll break down the news, trends, and overall direction of the markets, telling you what may be coming next, investment opportunities, and what to avoid. Now, here are your hosts, Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartsman. All right, good evening. I'm Michael Hartsman. Today is Tuesday, August 22nd, 2023. And I'm on, as always, with my partner, Dominic Tavella. How are you, Dom? Doing great, Mike. Uh, glad to be here. Glad to pick up the ball from where we left off last week. We had a lively conversation last week with our folks at Dana. Um, Glenn was pretty optimistic. Tonight, we're going to switch gears and focus on fixed income. Last week, we primarily spoke about the uh, equity portion of the market. Tonight, we have uh, Mega Shermel from um, New York Life Mainstay. She's uh, primarily with Mackay Shields, and she's going to talk about the muni market. But uh, before we jump into that, Dom, it's just been a... Another kind of messy, sloppy, typical August week in the market last week. Um, NASDAQ just is, just seems to be, you know, getting a little, little cheaper every week, but no real direction and nothing dramatic. It's just kind of drifting around. Yeah, and I'm, I'm thrilled we have uh, Mega tonight on because interest rates, I think, are the story, Mike. So the S&P last week was down a little bit over 2%, the Dow over 2%, and NASDAQ about 2.5%. And if you look at since the beginning of August, you have the S&P down, what, 4 5%, Mike, and the NASDAQ about 7 8% from their high, still doing terrific year to date, but they're giving back some of, of the gains. And I, I think some of that is seasonal. It's just that time of year. But I think a large part of that is interest rates have really spiked. Um, and of course, interest rates go higher, stomp, stock prices go lower. And I, I think that's part of the story, at least. You know, I think part of it also, Dom, is, you know, is good news continues to be bad news to some degree as it relates to interest rates. You know, every week we get we get a market recap from J.P. Morgan, and I, I call it my cheat sheet. And the first paragraph is most forecasters entered the year expecting a recession. But recently, economic growth has actually re-accelerated. In fact, the Atlanta Fed GDP, GDP model estimates U.S. economy will grow at a 5.8% this quarter, which is crazy. Crazy. So we, we've talked about this on past uh, podcasts, Mike, and that is many of the quote-unquote experts thought there would be at least two Fed cuts in interest rates by the end of this year. That, to me, is was clearly nuts and slash, I, I have to believe, is completely off the table at this point in the conversation. And thus, markets are realizing, hey, we're not likely to go into a recession this year. And they are adjusting interest rates uh, accordingly, which means higher. And there's some other factors, some seasonality to it. Uh, the Fed uh, um, meeting the end of this week. There's, there's a lot of moving parts here. But the bottom line is a 10-year Treasury was yielding um, about 3.4% four to six weeks ago. Today, it's over 
4%. And in in our world, that's a big move. That's a big move to the upside. The, 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 the headline this morning when we were doing our morning call with our advisors on the cryon was the 10-year hasn't been this high since 2007. You know, it's a long time ago. And Mike, I don't know who was anticipating that. Maybe our guest tonight was. Uh, and we certainly want to hear about what course of actions she took and we should be taking going forward. But it clearly has affected the market, right? Higher interest rates means higher borrowing costs, whether it's a business, whether it's a consumer getting a car loan or a mortgage. Where are mortgage rates today, Mike? They're like, I don't know. I haven't looked recently, but Dom, I think they're like, was it close somewhere between seven and eight percent? If I'm, if yeah, I'm not I wrong. think over seven, right? So yeah. all of these things do affect economic growth, economic activity, and of course that increases the fear that we might go into a recession. The Fed might make a mistake. So th these are all factors, and for the market to take a step back and take a breather from its torrid pace so far this year, I don't think that's a terrible thing. I don't think it, it, it was terribly out of line. And look, under the category of be careful what you wish for, and you and I spoke and, you know, a lot in our early or podcast this year that we both agreed that a recession or, or an interest rate cuts towards the end of this year was unlikely. And the catalyst would have been that the wheels had fallen off of the economy. You know, not that not that the recession was slow moving, but literally something catastrophic had had would have had to have happened for them to cut rates that quickly. So I, for one, I'm not thrilled we have higher interest rates, but I'm also not unhappy we haven't seen any cuts yet, Tom. Uh, and, and taking on that point, Mike, a little bit further, uh, not likely to see it the balance of this year at least, right? Um, and both you and I have talked about maybe, maybe early next year, but a full circle, why would the Fed actually cut rates? And that's your point, Mike, which I think uh, you're spot on. Only if economic activity was to decline so much, unemployment would have to go higher that we would have to look at the picture. The Fed would look at the picture and go, hey, we need to re-stimulate the economy. So maybe this is one of those we talk about good news being bad news, bad news being good news stories. But I think the economic news would have to get substantially worse before the Fed would, would implement a rate cut policy. We're not even close, in my opinion. And to be fair, you know, we'll give ourselves a pat in the back that we got that one right. But the same token, Dom, I think you and I both felt, based on the people we speak to frequently, that the Fed would be done by now raising interest rates. That was also the consensus. They'd be done. And by all intent and purposes, they're not done. Um, that's what they're saying so far. Uh, we we definitely thought they'd be done by now. Um, and again, kind of arguing both sides of this, done but keeping rates higher for longer. Um, they have at least, we believe, this, at least one more rate hike in their, in their arsenal, maybe two, hopefully just one, but then definitely rates higher for longer. Mike. We, we, again, we're coming back to this, I don't see a rate cut. Um, anytime in the near future. And it's all about how quickly can get they can get inflation to come down to their target 2%. And I just want to make, make one more point about the real estate market, especially here on Long Island and really across the country. You know, Dom, I have, I have an interest rate on my mortgage of less than 
It's 2.85%. And I have no plans on selling my house. But if I was planning on selling my house, it would be on hold right now. Because why would I sell a mortgage or get rid of a mortgage that's that I'm, that's less than three to go get a new mortgage that's going to be more than double that? So the dichotomy is, yes, interest rates are higher, but the inventory is not very high because people are holding on to their homes and their mortgages because they don't want to they don't want to flip the mortgage. It, it, it really is a tale of two cities, Mike. And I had a client that put their house on the market. It was gone in, in 11 days, done. Um, so existing home sales, there's very little inventory for a lot of the reasons you just spoke about. Um, and so that's been declining. Uh, but new home sales, new construction has been going through the roof because uh, that's where you can find a home. Uh, people, uh, companies will literally build you one. So good news, bad news again, um, but it, the inventory problem, existing home sales, again, not one likely to resolve itself anytime soon. So I'm happy, as we said earlier, that tonight we're going to really focus on interest rates. We're going to focus on the muni market. You know, we do this a couple of times a year. The muni market is a is a huge asset class. It's a very important asset class to us. Last year was not very pretty for the muni market. This year, it's been slowly recovering and healing. And we're anxious to hear um, what Mega Shermel, director and client portfolio manager at Mackay Shields, has to say, Dom. Looking forward to it, Mike. So we'll be back with Mega right after this break. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you paying federal taxes on your cash? I work hard for my money that I keep in cash. And for the life of me, I can't imagine why anyone would want to pay federal taxes on their cash. That's why I keep my cash in the Lebenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund, symbol L-E-T-A-X, Le Tax. Rates on cash are already so low, why pay federal taxes on the interest your cash earns? Remember, it's not what you earn, it's what you keep. The Lebenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund, L-E-T-A-X, may help you earn more on the cash you've worked hard for and keep more after-tax dollars in your pocket. Find out more about the fund by speaking with a Labenthal Global Advisors Private Wealth Advisor or its sponsor at dcmadvisors.com. For your hard-earned cash, why pay the tax when there's the tax? Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. It's not what you make. It's what you keep. Before investing, you should carefully consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus, a copy of which may be obtained by calling 800-441-7031. Please read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. There is no guarantee that this or any investing strategy will be successful. An investor should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund carefully before investing. The fund is distributed by Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC, member FINRA. The fund may invest in municipal securities, the interest on which may be subject to federal alternative minimum tax. After the fund buys a security, the IRS may determine that a bond issued as tax-exempt should in fact be taxable. There is no affiliation between DCM Advisors, LLC, and Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC. DCM Advisors and Ultimus Fund Distributors are not affiliated with Labenthal Financial Services, Inc. or Labenthal Global Advisors, LLC. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
You are listening to the Labenthal Report. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to contact at labenthal.com. Now, back to the Labenthal Report. All right, I'm Michael Hartzman, back with my partner, Dominic Tavella, and our guest this evening, Megan Schremel, Director and Client Portfolio Manager at McKay Shields, primarily focusing on the municipal market. How are you, Mega? I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm glad you survived uh, the rainstorm in California. Congratulations. <laughs> the drizzle, yes. Um, at least where I was. The, the the storm ended up moving east and hit some of the desert area more than more than the area that I'm in, but thank you. <laughs> well, that sounds like good news because I know you guys need water, so <laughs> hopefully you landed in the right spot. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, well, thanks for joining us this evening, and let's just start, you know, at 30,000 feet in the air. We don't, I don't want you to make a call on interest rates, but maybe you could lend a little logic as, as to the recent spike we've had recently in the in the treasury market in particular, and then we could get into um, your, your area of specialty. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, yeah, when you look at, you know, what's happening with, with rates and how that's affected all the fixed income, I think it's very interesting, right? So all of 2022, we saw 10 um, rate hikes, and that's unprecedented. We haven't seen that in a really, really long time. And um, you almost have to think about what's happening and how those external factors are going to play into your market. So we look at the municipal market primarily um, and really thinking about why, you know, why that rate spike is going to, how that's going to affect your portfolios. And when you, when you look at it, I think the Fed was doing a really good job in terms of really communicating what it was that they wanted, right? So they wanted inflation to come down and inflation kept going higher, at least in 2022. And we, you know, listened to the Fed. We, um, even though as rates were going higher, municipal bond prices were going down. So that affected how we were looking at the market. I think it was important to be in the market because there was a lot of rate volatility. And it was important to really think about, again, what that does for the market itself. So you look at rates, they're going higher, prices are going to go down, that's going to affect the muni market. But really, what are we doing during this time of rate volatility that's going to help our portfolios moving forward? Um, and as uh, you know, you kind of mentioned, it's really hard to say, are we at the peak? Are we, you know, how, how much longer how, are rates going to stay higher? Um, or even if, you know, when those cuts are going to come, or if the camp that you mentioned, not any time this year, but um, it's hard to call that. And as we look at the muni market, the portfolio management team, we don't call rates. We look at where the duration is of the index, and we are plus or minus that 10% of that duration in our portfolios, because we don't think you can call rates consistently. And you, you know, anybody who's tried to do that hasn't really been right, right? Like nobody really expected rates to go up as much as they did. So um, for that reason, we don't call rates, but we will obviously keep in mind um, how to manage duration around the the portfolios um, based off what's happening in the market. So just kind of picking up on that theme, um, I just on my computer put up a chart for the 20 year treasury. And mm -hmm. if you had bought that on January 1st of this year, you'd be down 8% uh, on a year to date uh, performance. And after last year, which was horrific, 
people owning these things have really gotten hurt. So what do you guys do to kind of mitigate that kind of potential loss and to to try to protect clients' downside risk in this kind of an environment? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And obviously there's interest rate risk and there's also credit risk. So we focus more on the credit risk because that's where we think we can actually make a difference in terms of how we're going to manage our portfolios. So the muni market, and you know, if you just start generally speaking, what it is, it's a it's a very fragmented market. It, it's over the counter. Um, it has over a million QCIPs. It has more than fifty thousand issuers. Which, if you compare to the corporate market, which is you know four to five times size as bigger, has lower number of issuers. So, what I'm trying to say is, it's a, it's a fragmented market, which allows for inefficiency in the market. And we can focus on that, and we can look at credit risk instead of interest rate risk. And really, that's where we can, you know, make a difference in portfolios and and help um, not only with yields, with where yields are today. Obviously, yields have gone higher, and that's going to be helpful in terms of income that we're going that we've added to the portfolios. But also, we focus on total return. So, what price appreciation can we provide for our clients, which is very different than what a lot of other competitors do. Um, you know, a lot of competitors think of the muni market as just a buy and hold. You know, you buy those bonds, you kind of um, either ladder them or you kind of let them mature. You get that income and, you know, set it and kind of forget about it. The, the way our team thinks about it, the way the kind of municipal managers think about it is in order we can be active and dynamic in this in this market. And that that allows for total return opportunities for for our clients which is really where we, we could shine and um you know just also in terms of where yields were right so if you go back to um 2020 2021 those yields were low so what we were able to do in a year like 2022 is um tax off swapping so we were able to be active in our portfolios we would take those yields that we had and you have to almost readjust those yields if you kind of set your portfolio and forget about it you're losing that opportunity to then take advantage of the higher yields that that the market has provided for us Megan, let me ask you this. I'm glad I'm glad you're in California. Um, do you guys spend a lot of time thinking about how large cities have changed over the last five or ten years? Um, you know, first there was COVID, and 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 now the media spends a lot of time, not so much in LA, but talking about San Francisco and and people fleeing the cities, and and you know, people still think New York is half empty. It's not. But 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 as the muni market and the analysts like you guys, you spend a lot of time thinking about those things, or it hasn't reached that point yet. Yeah, out migration is definitely something that's in the news. People ask about us all the time, right? Um, or you even hear like anecdotally people say, "I used to live in New Jersey. I'm now moving to Florida," or "I used to live in California. I'm now moving to Nevada or Arizona." Right? So there is a lot of that. But then there's also people moving in. So like you said, New York at some point during COVID, yes, it was empty, but now it's bustling. It's back again and more, right? So even more because people are just ready to be back and looking for those experiences one, once again. So yes, we think about it. Yes, we think about uh, migration and we look at that data closely and what that really means. 
but also we have, we have to look at the balance sheet of of these you know state governments and local governments when we look at these state geos and these local geos and really think about where is this revenue really coming from right so if you think about state um state general obligations that is tax collections um sales tax collections right so even during covid people were continuing to buy which is which then adds to to the sales taxes um if you think of local general obligation bonds those are property taxes you know you guys talked about real estate a little bit um but if there is a downturn which we haven't seen in the real estate market in order for that to flow into how the the state um, local government will see it it takes time to get there right that somebody needs to reassess that property which takes time um and then it flows into those property taxes and we haven't seen that a real estate market is still strong for all the reasons that you mentioned because there's not a lot of supply so when we think about these state and local governments and what we like about them what we like about the credit we think about their balance sheet which by the way have to be budgeted so they cannot spend more than the revenues that are coming in so they have to balance out their budget which is why they do forecasting in terms of this is the amount of money that we'll be spending these are going to be our expenses if that changes they then have to cut back on some of, some of the expenses to make sure that those budgets are balanced in addition to all of that during covid there was a lot of money that was given to state and local governments so as long as they were able to use that prudently which we believe a lot of states were that also helped in terms of the balance sheets of of the of, um state and local governments that we look at so that that's a perfect point for me to to pick up on the federal government did give out uh, uh, billions of dollars uh, as part of the COVID relief to the states. Um, and it sounds like most of them were pretty responsible about how they used that money and maybe hopefully squirreled some of it away. Um, have you noticed that and or are any problem childs out there? Yeah, absolutely. That is a great question. So there was um, a lot of money given towards both state and local governments for the federal re relief. And a lot of states, so for example, let's take Illinois, for example, right? That was a problem child prior to, but as they were receiving this money, they were able to add that to their rainy day fund. So they took that money and they put it in reserves. They also put money towards their pension obligations. These were the two issues that prior to they had issues with. So during that time frame, as they did this, they received upgrades. So it was in um, it was prior to it was considered lower investment grade, and now because of the upgrades, it's considered an investment grade state. We can say the same thing about the state of New Jersey. They were able to add money towards their um, pension obligations, which they haven't done in quite some time. Um, and because of this COVID relief that came their way, they were able to be you know prudent with the money that they, and and how they were making use of that. Um, same thing with California. Um, California has $17 billion in, in rainy day funds, and that has continued to grow. Um, and, you know, to your point, there were problem childs, which were able to, which were then, they were able to take this and actually move it towards rainy day funds, which is why we think that states came in on a strong footing. But right now, currently speaking, they're actually, the fundamentals are actually very solid due, due to all the things I mentioned. 
Mega, could we just go over the mess that was the muni market last year? Um, you know, Dominic and I use municipal bonds as kind of a safe haven, as a counterweight to stocks, as many other financial advisors do. It's not unique what we do. And last year, I think, was the worst muni market in 40 years. In, in bond market in general, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, but but correct. But but municipals in particular really really took it on the chin. And they've 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 healed, they've come back, they haven't come roaring back. So just give us some context, Mega, where we are right now with with munis in particular if, if and then bonds in general if we can. Yeah, absolutely. Um and twenty twenty two absolutely was a very tough year for municipals. Um like you said, you know, you think of it as more of a defensive asset class. You think that in a, um, if stocks are going down, you know, the municipals will be that safe haven. They'll kind of balance it out. Um, and unfortunately, that wasn't the case. Again, given the number of rate hikes that we saw and the duration of the asset class. Um, additionally, municipal market is also very retail driven. So in times of volatility, Typically, a retail investor will look at that and they'll look to redeem. So they want to take their money out. And we saw exact, exactly that. We saw money come out of mutual funds. We saw money come out of ETFs and in the tune of above $100 billion that came out. Um, if you look at this year, it's turned. It's turned a little bit. It's definitely better than what it was last year. So we're now seeing positive numbers. Um, you know, the investment grade market is up 2% year to date. The high yield market is up 3.5%. We'll take that versus double digit negatives numbers that we saw last year. And in terms of flows, we've seen they're still um, outflows, but they're not to the tune that we saw last year. So, you know, they're close to, you know, negative 10 billion, um, uh, exactly negative 7 billion. So that's very different than the over 100 billion outflows that we, that we saw last year. And um, a lot of it has to do with some sort of, you know, um, understanding that this may be the peak in rates. So we're looking to stabilize in terms of the rate volatility that we've seen. Um, and we, we're still seeing demand, right? So um, tax exempt um, yield, if you look at it on an equivalent basis, um, could be north of 8%, depending on if you're like a high, if you're in a high um state uh, high bracket and a high tax state such as California or New York, you're looking at yields possibly north of 8%, which if you were to compare that to the corporate market, you know, you'd have to go down in credit quality, credit quality to receive the same um, yield. Municipal market is, um, you can reach those yields in a double A bond, for example, or double A investment grade portfolio. So um, we're, we're definitely seeing, you know, positivity from that perspective. And additionally, um, technicals are also strong because we're not seeing a lot of supply in the market. So that's a tail. That's been a tailwind um, for the market year to date. Mega, another uh, uh, pick. I want to pick up another point you just made. And you know, we track flows uh, going in and out of mutual funds and ETFs. And one of the largest flows out were some of these bond funds, just in general. And I'm looking at the picture going, wait a minute, yields are as high as uh, we've seen, and in, in, in Mike brought this up, maybe over a decade. Shouldn't you be a buyer in this environment, not a seller? Shouldn't you be looking to go, hey, I can lock in historically high rates? Why are people selling in this environment when they should be buying? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it all comes down to, you know, 
retail behavior, like behavioral finance, and um, also opportunity cost, right? So you can go into the treasury market and you can also obtain these high yields. And um, that's what people are, are can do. But that's short term that we, you know, even if rates stay higher for the next year or so, that's still short term, right? In terms of you can you can put that money in during during that time when the treasury market is providing those yields. However, if you think about it, what what that does moving forward, we do think demand will come back in. But to your point, it's the uncertainty in the market that drives the flows. So because there was so much uncertainty in the market in terms of, okay, is this going to continue to happen? You know, inflation keeps going up. Will it continue to keep going up? Um, and not really having clarification as to when that would stop. That's why the fl- we saw the um, flows that we saw last year. Mega, you know, people think of the municipal market, and as I said before, they maybe think of the big cities and large infrastructure projects. But the municipal market's so much more than that. It's it's hospitals, it's universities, it's stadiums, it's shopping centers that get tax breaks. Are there sectors that you guys are attracted to versus sectors that are making you a little nervous based on trends? Yeah, absolutely. And that's really where, you know, we're doing our, our um, credit work. So we look at what's happening in the economy and then we say, okay, this sector makes sense. We're gonna be overweight or underweight. And also, you know, relative value. If you were to look at, let's say a hospital, double A hospital bond, and you know, what's that currently in the market versus where it was maybe if you were to compare it to a new deal or even in the secondary market. So there's a lot of relative value analysis that's happening underneath the hood. And that's really where the team shines. Um, to answer your question specifically in terms of sectors that we like and, and, and we don't like, in terms of what we like, um, given that you know we do see a slowing economy, we like the essential services sector. So anything that's geos, general obligation, state, local, um, anything that's more you know related to utilities, power, um, water, sewer, these are essential services. So even if it's a slowing economy, these will continue to get paid. And they, the, the way the muni market, the, the, it's interesting because um, inflation almost plays a role in the muni market because these entities are monopolistic. So if you live in a town and there's a water sewer company that's providing that, that service, um, you're gonna continue to pay those bills regardless of the economy. So it's very monopolistic in nature. So even as inflation was going higher, you know, that that user base, the fees is is related to um, or translates into 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 that higher fees as well. Um, so those are you know some of the sectors that we are favoring. In terms of sectors we don't like, um, one of them is healthcare, um, and that's the fundamentals on healthcare are picking up. But the reason you know we started. Um, kind of being underweight healthcare predominantly all of last year and even um, a little bit earlier than that. And the reason for that was as inflation was going higher, the, the labor expenses were also increasing for the specific sector. And we saw that as a negative because that was going to hurt their um, bottom line. And that's exactly what happened. We saw a lot of consolidations, you know, some larger healthcare's um, 
taking over the smaller health care just because they weren't they weren't able to pay those labor costs because they were increasingly um, getting higher. And that's coming back a little bit. Fundamentals are getting a little bit better, but we were underweight healthcare for that reason because there was a lot of staffing issues as well that that the healthcare sector saw. Um, just a just a quick follow up, Dom. I apologize. Please. So in your world, mega healthcare is basically hospitals and surgery centers. Mm-hmm. I mean, not really involved with drug companies or pharmaceuticals. You just mean you know the the, the buildings that these that these people are working in. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And uh, Mega, staying on the same theme, um, and I don't want to get too wonky, but there are there are a lot of inefficiencies in the muni market, as you described earlier. So if somebody who's really doing their homework can find real jewels, is there a certain credit quality area that you're focusing on or duration, maturity kind of sector of the bond market that you go, you know what, this is the sweet spot today, credit quality, maturity? Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of the sweet spots that we see, it's actually more on the yield curve. So we look at the whole yield curve and we say, what is the shape of the yield curve and where can we see opportunities versus, let's say, the treasury market, right? So treasury market is obviously inverted and we haven't seen the muni market inverted in quite some time, but currently it is. So what we're doing is we're actually taking a barbell approach from a yield curve perspective. So we like the short end and then we also like the long end because as it's inverted, the middle part is um, the belly of the curve is actually where spreads are the tightest. And there's a few reasons for that. One of them is um, there is a lot of um, SMA ladder portfolios that tend to purchase that part of the market around, you know, 10, 12 year um, part of the maturity. And that we believe is in terms of spreads is very tight. We also closely look at muni treasury ratio. So we look at relative value based off of that. So muni treasury ratio is essentially what, what we're doing is we're looking at the what you're yielding on the, in the treasury market and for that same maturity, what you would be yielding in the muni market. And if if it's higher, that means, you know, that that's attractive, obviously, but also in terms of cheapness. So if it's a higher number, that means that it, it makes sense to, to be in that part of the market. And in terms of where the yield curve is, we're seeing more opportunities on the long end of, of the market today. So that that is definitely something that we think um, you know, we're taking advantage of and we're adding to. Um, additionally, we look at coupon structures. So in different types of environment, you know, the um, secondary market will provide different coupon structures. So currently we favor higher coupon structures, which we think um, are, are beneficial. And that also helps in terms of, you know, opportunity that we're seeing in the market and we're able to add those into the portfolio, which we think is actually going to help us, you know, over the long, long term long run so for the sake of sorry mike i'm going to do it to you um the sake of our, our listeners and viewers short in what kind of maturity would you say that would be so um anywhere from like one to five and then you know then from five to maybe 12 is is where we'll kind of it depends they're still you know we're doing security selection and i'm, I'm being you know kind of um generally speaking and then um past 15 year is is um the part of the maturity that will that will that we think is but you're barbelling a concentration on that shorter end of the maturity and then you're offsetting the risk uh, uh offsetting the risk of the long bonds by buying that that side of the curve and leaving kind of the middle a little bit more open exactly 
Thank you. Megan, the municipal market is dependent upon new issues and, and, and towns and municipalities issuing new bonds. And frequently you hear, well, they're not going to do it now because interest rates are higher. So are we going to catch 22 now where municipalities might be reluctant to issue new bonds, but, but eventually they're going to have to raise money. And then if bonds are going higher, you know, what, what is the basic mentality now with a, with an average municipality that needs to build a school or, you know, fix a bridge? Are they holding off or is the inventory okay right now? Yeah, great question. And um, supply has been lower. So it's actually 20% lower year to date than it was prior year. Um, we are currently around $200 billion in supply. And typically the market on an, on an average year can see anywhere from 400 to 450 billion. And that's inclusive of tax exempt and taxable issuance. Now, you're absolutely right. As rates rise, it's, it's, um, you know, the the issuers will kind of wait on the sidelines in terms of seeing, okay, what when they find a little bit of rate stability is when they'll participate back in the market. So that's exactly what we're seeing. They're, they're on the sidelines. And in addition to that, they also have, again, the strong balance sheets from, from you know, prior years, which is also, you know, which is also why they're reluctant to kind of come back into the market. So we're not seeing um, the supply pick up like we usually do. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's not opportunities in the secondary market. So that's exactly where we're seeing, you know, um, uh, opportunities and, and taking, taking advantage of those in the secondary market, not necessarily in the primary market. Um, one other thing I'll add to that is um, taxable municipals. I mentioned that a little bit. Um, it, issuance on that is really dependent on where, where rates are. So, and, and the reason for that is a lot of the issuance that we saw in the taxable market, which saw its growth in 2020 and tw um, 2020 onwards, was because of the Tax Jobs and Cuts Act in 2017. There was a, a regulation where similar to how you would refinance your home, if an issuer were to refinance, they weren't able to do it in the tax exempt market. So then they took advantage of the low rates and did that in the taxable market, which is why we saw a supply spike on the taxable side. But similarly, because rates are higher, that that part of um, you know advanced refunding supply has been, has been down as well. Mega, on that note, Taxable municipal bonds is a topic near and dear to Dominic's heart. I know we look at them frequently. So let's take a break. And on the other side, I know Dom's going to have a million questions for you on 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 on, on taxable munis in particular, because it sounds oxymoronic. So, you know, if we could get into that a little bit, I think that'd be great. We'll be right back. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. When you're thinking about where to park your cash, for over 30 years in the business, I've been a fan of funds like the Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. It's managed for cash and designed so the interest income you receive is free from federal taxes. And who doesn't love paying less taxes? Mike, generating interest that's free from federal taxes is appealing. But I've been in this business for a long time, and people love the potential for more income on their hard-earned cash. Sorry, Dom. But the beauty of the fund is paying less taxes on cash. No, my friend, it's the potential for more income. Mm -mm. Less taxes. More income. Less 
taxes. More income. Less For taxes. your cash, ask your advisor mm-hmm. about the Labenthal Ultra Short Tax Free Income Fund. Less taxes. Or find out more at DCMAdvisors.com. Well, Dom, one thing I know we agree on it's not what you earn, it's what you keep. Labenthal Ultra Short Tax Free Income Fund. Symbol L E T A X. The tax. Before investing, you should carefully consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus, a copy of which may be obtained by calling 800-441-7031. Please read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. There is no guarantee that this or any investing strategy will be successful. An investor should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund carefully before investing. The fund is distributed by Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC, member FINRA. The fund may invest in municipal securities the interest on which may be subject to federal alternative minimum tax. After the fund buys a security, the IRS may determine that a bond issued as tax-exempt should in fact be taxable. There is no affiliation between DCM Advisors, LLC, and Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC. DCM Advisors and Ultimus Fund Distributors are not affiliated with Labenthal Financial Services, Inc. or Labenthal Global Advisors, LLC. You are listening to The Labenthal Report. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to contact at labenthal.com. Now, back to the Labenthal Report. All right, I'm Michael Hartsman, back with Dominique Tavella, and our guest this evening, Mega Schremer. I give up. Di- director. Mega, once you pronounce your, your last name for us both, and then we can uh, move forward from there. Not a problem. It's Shremel. Shremel. Mega. Director, a client portfolio manager. God, if we work together, I would be creating 17 HR violations on a daily basis. So I apologize. Not a problem. And on that note, Dom has a couple of questions for you. Thank God. Yeah, so, and, uh, so this is an area that uh, uh, let me let me start correctly. Uh, taxable muni. So Mike hit the nail on the head. It sounds like an oxymoron. Maybe why don't you explain to us what they are, why somebody would want them in their portfolio, and then we can get into the the meat and potatoes of it. Absolutely. And yeah, that's exactly what it sounds like. Because you think of municipals, you think of tax exempt, you know, you're not gonna have to pay taxes on your federal and state, depending on which bonds you buy. But then when you look at taxable munis, you're like, wait, so I'm paying taxes here? What what's what's going on? And there's a few reasons why um, issuers will issue in the taxable market. And then obviously, I'll go into why it's beneficial for clients to have taxable munis in their portfolio. So if you look at an issuer, um, again, there's a few reasons. One of them being there could be a threshold in terms of how much tax exempt issuance um, one specific issuer can can issue. So once they've reached that max limit, they then would issue in the taxable market. Um, There's also, you know, there needs to be a public utility in order for the um, IRS to approve that this is actually a, requires tax exemption. So there are cases when um, you know it could be a freeway that you're that um, an issuer is looking to issue for in the muni market, and there is a um, rest stop, and that doesn't necessarily you know equate to a public good because there's um, other private companies in there and that would be then issued in the taxable market. Same thing with a stadium um, and, you know, maybe there's a box 
um, section in there, and that would be in the taxable mini market. So what I'm also trying to say is it's the same issuers. It's not like it's a different set of issuers that would issue in the taxable market. It's the same issuers. So from a credit research perspective, we're looking at all the same issuers, whether we're looking at taxable or tax exempt um, uh, market. And that's, that's a positive. And also we've seen this market grow. So there were two times where we saw a spike in this market. Um, one of them was uh, in the bad era. So back in 2009, 2010, this was after the 2008 global financial crisis. Um, Build America bonds program is might, might be something that um, some of you may be familiar with. And that's when we saw a spike because there was a subsidy provided um, for these bonds. And um, after that, it kind of, you know, um, um, went down a little bit where it was still, we were still seeing supply, but not to the tune that we saw back in 2009 and 2010. And then recently we saw another spike um, in 2021 and 2022. And that was after the 2017 um, Tax Jobs Act and um, issuers were no longer able to issue in the tax exempt market. So similar to how you would um, refinance your home, um, they would then do it in the taxable market. And you know, they get uh, flexibility in terms of what they're able to do with these proceeds. So that's a really big pro. Um, and also, you know, um, in terms of where where rates were, where rates were low. So if you're going to advance your fund, you're able to save on that um, coupon of yours that you're that, where you're issuing. That's not present anymore, which is why that supply has gone down as rates have gone up. But we do think, you know, this market is growing. It's the muni market, fully speaking, is $4 trillion. And um, the taxable market is about a trillion dollars. So it's about 20, 25% of the market. And we're seeing that in the supply as well in terms of the um, percentage of supply that we see on an, on an annual basis. So long answer to your question in terms of, you know, what it is, what are what are taxable munis. Um, and then in terms of for an investor, it makes sense to include it in your qualified plan. It makes sense to include it in your um, anything where, you know, it's beneficial from a tax perspective to include something like this because you are going to receive um, higher yields than possibly some other fixed income sectors like corporate bonds and it's um, higher credit quality. So everything in this space is investment grade. So you're looking at a double A average credit quality and it's a great diversifier to other fixed income um, assets that one may have in their portfolio. And Mike, yeah, if, if you don't want me expanding on that, just to, uh, so this is an area that you would use as a contrast to a corporate bond as opposed to a tax-free municipal bond. Absolutely. Yeah. So even though, you know, it's taxable market and tax exempt market, we don't, we don't, it doesn't make sense to compare the two and pick one versus the other because there's a place for both in a portfolio. Um, so what, in terms of attributes and what really resonates with investors is if you look at it compared to a, a corporate bond, because it's providing the same attributes in your um, asset, in your a portfolio or your asset allocation model, but again, it's a diversifier, higher credit quality, all the you know things that I mentioned in terms of monopolistic in nature and resiliency in terms of cash flows. You're able to see that in the taxable market um, as well. Mega higher credit quality. What about the coupon? Are you getting are you getting a little richer coupon if you're not getting the tax deduction? Yeah, so the coupons are comparable in terms of it, it's going to be a little bit higher. Um, based off of where, where the market is. So yes, you will, you will see that. Do you want me to pick it up again, Mike? Sure. 
Um, so I, I want to bring this back to this whole interest rate environment that we're in. Um, I know you don't typically make interest rate calls, but uh, just at the 28,000 foot level, um, are interest rates kind of as high as they're going to go? Do you think the Fed needs to do more, will do more? Uh, we do think, you know, they're peaking. So definitely at the last inning, um, um, you know, maybe ninth inning, um, it would be, they are, again, very transparent in terms of being data dependent. So it really um, does go back to how is the economy going to flare over the next few months as we see, you know, possibility of maybe one more hike. Um, and then, you know, what, what does that mean moving forward? So if you look at rates 12, 12 months from now, are we staying at the higher level? Or, you know, is there something happening in the economy where we've slowed down enough where the Fed thinks that they need to come back in and, you know, assist again? So um, I, I, I think it's more just paying close attention to what, what they're saying and um, how they're projecting, you know, what they'll be doing moving forward. Again, all based off of data and economy. Maggie, you talked a little bit about credit quality throughout the show tonight. So let's talk about high yield. Mm -hmm. You guys like high yield? Uh, are you are you reluctant? You know, if you're going to build a portfolio for one of our clients, would it represent 10%, 25%? Where, where are you guys in terms of portfolio construction as it relates to high yield? Yeah, that's great. So high yield, we think, is you, you have to be cautious in terms of what you're doing in the high yield space. So it's not just, you know, buy any bond that's out there just because it's giving you that yield. You really have to. It's even more pertinent and prudent to do your credit research in the high yield market, um, especially given, you know, the prior to 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 last year when there was a lot of money coming into into the market there was a, there were a lot of deals that were coming coming um in the market with light covenants and you know things that um you really have to do your credit research to understand so we do think it's um even more important here to do your credit research and and think about high yield in terms of an asset allocation to investment grade and high yield um we think it's prudent to do 80-20 for a moderate investor, 80% investment grade, 20% high yield. That's actually our, um, you know, base case. Like we think that's neutral in terms of you're not taking a lot of risk and you're not decreasing your risk either. That's that's our um, uh, neutral stance. And um, you, we, we think that there's opportunity in that market, which is why, we, you know, 20% does make sense to be in that portfolio. Um, but we think that investment grade makes a little bit more sense, given if we're going into a slowing economy, we think that part of the market is going to do better. So just giving an opportunity for the 30 second commercial, we actually have one of Mackay's uh, ultra short high yield portfolios uh, as part of our models. Uh, it's done very well. We're very pleased with it. Um, but we kept the maturity very short so that we wouldn't be exposed to this volatility. Maybe maybe you want to spend a minute talking about the attributes of doing that and what we might want to think about going forward. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think you're referring to the short duration high yield. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So absolutely. In this type of a market, you know, that makes sense. It makes sense to do that. But then you have to think like, OK, moving forward, what are we going to do? Right. So do you want to add duration back into your portfolio, which is what 
something like a, um, you know, some of our other products that do this barbell approach, we're doing that for you. And we do relative value analysis. So as um, that short part of the market doesn't make sense anymore, we will then continue to, you know, take that off the off the portfolio and add maybe to the longer part of the market again. So um, I think in this environment, that makes complete complete sense. But we, we, we do think about um, an investor's horizon over, you know, the next 12 to 18 months. So in that, in that um, kind of situation, we would then look to add duration to the portfolio. So Megan, we have about three minutes before the close. So if we were just going to, and you've done a great job in really explaining the muni market in some very plain English, our clients could understand. So thank you for that. If we were going to put a bow on where Mackay stands is it, it? It's credit quality. It's it's being cautious about interest rates. It's being selective in the bonds that you buy. You guys like high yield, but you don't want to get too heavily weighted. Did I kind of sum it up correctly? Does anyone add to that? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think throughout 2022, that's exactly what we're doing. We're increasing the credit quality of our portfolios. We're increasing the yields in our portfolios. So I think it all, all goes back to what is your manager doing during times of volatility, right? So you want someone who's going to be active, who can be nimble if needed, but dynamic and, and really, you know, taking advantage of the opportunities that are in the market. Um, and we were able to do all of that while increasing our credit quality, really paying, paying close attention to structures that the market was providing that we think will, will be beneficial for portfolios moving forward. And then at the base of it all, credit research. We do think that's the most um, you know, uh, vital part of this whole equation. And um, we've done just that, just focus on, on uh, research and credit selection. Omega, giving you the last opportunity here, we run balanced portfolios. So having bonds, having fixed income as part of our portfolios um, is just core. Um, but we're giddy that rates are this high. Um, this is the first time, and uh, both myself and Mike have spoken about this, that we are able to get good quality, high yielding bonds in our client portfolios that give them real returns. I'll let you close on that thought. Yeah, that's a great thought. And I think over the past couple of years, you almost had to get more creative to get this yield. You had to maybe go into, you know, some maybe illiquid or, or private credit or things like that to, to obtain that yield. But now that public fixed income is providing that, you're almost making your portfolio simpler, I would think. Um, and you're still able to get this, you know, income that that your clients need so um i do think you know municipals and fixed income like that fits right into into that um and simplifying those portfolios and still providing that income that the clients need mega on that note we want to thank you again for making the time today and uh, we appreciate your insights and we appreciate all the support that you guys give us uh as a partnership Thank you. I really appreciate it being here. Thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, be safe out there in California with your crazy storms and earthquakes. <laughs> Thank you. Have a good night, everybody. We'll be back next week night, with a new show, The Labor Poll Report. Thanks for tuning in to the Labenthal Report. Dominic and Michael will be back for our next program, airing next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, have a great week.